Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare, and you found the place where we talk all about horses. I often run across someone who has a similar passion for horsemanship as I do. But like all passions, the road is not always smooth. We keep trying, changing things up, looking for better ways to relate to our horse. We look for better ways to test what we've learned. On today's show, we're bringing you a little bit of inspiration. Renee and I talked to our friend, Adrian DeWolf. Several years ago, I was trailering Scratch, my Oak Creek wild horse, around trying to get him used to different environments. On one trip, we headed to Movie Land Ranch in Southern California. They had a trail course and a covered arena. It was a play day kind of thing with fellow down under horsemanship people. And although we had only met a few in person, we knew many from the internet. This is where we first met up with Adrienne DeWolf and her Mustang Toaster. We had a morning session in the covered arena doing groundwork and then after lunch we headed for the trail course. Scratch was still a bit leery about things and he was very busy with all the other horses and people around. Adrian and Toaster were working through most of the obstacles. Toaster wasn't perfect on them, but I could tell the way she was helping him. These two are a good team. Then we met again last year when we tried our hand at extreme cowboy racing. We ran into Adrian and Toaster at a show in Antelope Valley. They were taking the obstacles much better and much faster. Over the course of a few events, we got to know each other a little better. Toaster was doing well in the competitions and Adrian looked better with each event. We've followed her through Facebook through her EXCA races this year and learned that she's headed for Glen Rose, Texas in November for the national finals of extreme cowboy racing. Her journey through horsemanship is an inspiration and we thought she'd make a great guest. Renee and I talked to Adrian about her journey through horsemanship. Here's Adrian DeWolf on the Woe Podcast. Like many young girls, I was I was horse crazy from a young age, but nobody in my family had a horse background. We really weren't a horse family at all, so I just had to kind of deal. My parents told me I could have a horse when I was an adult and had my own money. <laughs> So, and looking back, it was probably the smart idea because none of us would have known what to do with it. But at the time, I thought that was horribly unreasonable. But I saved my pennies and I went to, you know, summer horse camps. I would do rental rides, any opportunity I had. I leased a horse for a couple of summers in uh, as a teenager, like 17, 18 years old. But the only reason the horse was up for lease was because it had thrown off its its oh. owner. <laughs> so, little me I just you know I was I was desperate enough and so I didn't do much with that horse but it was fun to just have a horse I could call my own for the summer and when did you finally um, get your your first horse first horse I did not get until I was 27 about nine years ago I finally had the the financial stability and the situation where I felt like I could get a horse and I made every mistake in the book <laughs> of course <laughs> I bought a horse because it was pretty and it was the right color. So that's kind of where the journey started. And what horse was that? His name was Toby, and he was a he was an Appaloosa. He was a leopard spotted Appaloosa, which I had a I, I do still have a soft spot for leopard spotted Appaloosas, <laughs> despite him. <laughs> but he was he was just awful. Oh. 
And so how did you solve that problem? That that was what led me to try to learn how to train because I couldn't do anything with my horse and, and I was a little bit too stubborn to just kind of give up and sell him or whatever. So I started looking around and that's where I got into the Clinton Anderson method and that helped a ton, but it also <laughs> led me to realize that my horse really just wasn't suited for what I wanted to do. He was very fearful. I wanted to ride on trails and I wanted, for the most part, I didn't always have somebody to ride with me. And even when I did, he, w he was just so fearful of everything. I came to realize at a certain point that trail riding just wasn't, wasn't his job. <laughs> it wasn't his course. <laughs> it was not his course in life at all. <laughs> so did you uh, trade Toby in for another model? <laughs> Pretty much. So I, I sold Toby and I, I found him a, a great home with somebody that wanted him as a pasture pet. And then I bought another leopard spotted Appaloosa, of course. I wasn't giving up that easy. The second one was, was kind of what I needed at the time. He was a solid trail horse and I had him for about two and a half years and we, we had a lot of fun, fun times together. But as I actually kind of got into training and such, I wanted to do more and this was Shooter was his name and he was, he was a trail horse and he hated doing work in the arena. Huh. Really anything that, that smelled like work, he hated it. <laughs> He just wanted to go down the trail and I realized at a certain point I was trying to make him something that he really wasn't and I kind of outgrown him and he was a wonderful horse you know for he had built up my confidence again after the after the first one kind of you know tore it down right and he was a real confidence builder but just not you know not a horse that that was going to be a competitive horse or anything like that at a certain point I just decided that it was better to, to send him along to, to the next person that maybe just wanted to trail ride or needed some confidence help or, or something like that. Was well, your foundation about horsemanship knowledge essentially down under horsemanship at this point? Yes, yeah, so it was pretty much exclusively at that point down under horsemanship and in the method. I, you know, I trained Shooter pretty much through about halfway through the advanced method before I kind of hit a wall where he just wasn't... Uh, capable of <laughs> getting getting any more advanced than that. And I learned a lot from Shooter and just taking him through the method. Very good, yeah. What happened after Shooter? So after Shooter, I was feeling very confident, <laughs> but perhaps more confident than I should have. And I decided that, you know, what the heck, right? I'm going to get an untouched Mustang and see what I can do. And I knew that I might hit a roadblock and I might need some help. So I went to the, the Mustang Million competition was going on. And so there was an auction in Norco where they were going to do the auction for the Mustang Million, which is one of the competitions where you actually adopt the horse ahead of time. There isn't an auction afterwards. So it is a Mustang makeover, but you have adopted the horse. But, it, but you didn't have to do the competition. So I was thinking, well, I'd rather go down to Norco and, and go to this auction than like try to figure out how to get one from the holding pens. So we went to Norco and I picked one out. <laughs> Based and on color again? Is that your <laughs> I will, I, you know, I denied and denied and denied that I picked any anything based on color, but it's hard to deny it when it had an Appaloosa spot <laughs> on its butt. <laughs> it had like the you know most minimal kind of Appaloosa blanket on its butt. 
you know, it's kind of hard to deny that that might have affected my, my choice a little bit. It was a solid choice regardless. However, <laughs> he was not an easy Mustang. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. He was easy to start, but then when it came to the first saddling, that's when I started to hit a wall. I spent forever trying to get him prepared for saddling, the first saddling. And yet still, when I strapped that saddle on him, he just absolutely blind panicked, exploded, bronked, bucked. I just bailed out of the round pen, (laughs) (laughs) stayed out of his way, and waited for him to stop. My goodness. You know, and my intention was I was going to let him wear the saddle for a while. And, you know, following kind of the cult starting method, I was going to leave it on him all day. In reality, I couldn't, like, he he didn't (laughs) trust me anymore. Like, he was so like scared he wouldn't let me near him to take the saddle off and every time I even tried to approach him he would start to bronk again like it would remind him that the saddle was there oh my so, gosh like I left the saddle on him for four days because oh, I couldn't geez. I couldn't get near him so <sighs> it was a total disaster eventually I managed to just get it unbuckled grab it pull it off of him he got scared I just managed to get it off of him, and then I started from scratch, of course. So that kind of cued me in that maybe starting him under saddle was going to be a little tough. <laughs> that um, sounds very challenging. <laughs> very challenging. It was not an easy one that I picked as my first one. So I, I did get him, you know, I started over with the saddling, and I did get that done. And uh, he pretty much never bucked with it again you know, after that. But I went way back to step one and did, you know, everything I could think of to get him ready again. We've been lucky enough to talk to a couple of the Mustang guys, Bobby Kerr and Tom Hagwood. And these guys consistently go out and and pick a Mustang. It just amazes me how they can look at horse after horse after horse. They can right. they can tell by the way they walk, the way they hold an ear or a leg or, you know, they they know the horses so well, and I just am so envious of that. <laughs> to try and pick a wild horse out of a pen is amazing. Yeah. It, it is, it is. And I and at that time, I, I didn't understand what a, what a talent it was. Yeah, I tried to start, this was Moose. His name was Moose, and I, I named him Moose. And I tried to start him under saddle. He, he threw me off twice. Oh and at that point, I was like, I don't want it to happen a third time, because then we're starting to build a habit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then I, I got help. And so I got a professional trainer. They started him. They worked with him for three months. But then on the last day of training, he came up lame. Oh, no. <laughs> he did something in his stall, and he was he was pretty lame. It ended up being about six months off right after the three months of training, and it was the worst situation. It was just the worst thing that could have happened. So then I tried to start him kind of again myself after that, and it went well for a little while. But then he uh, got scared. He threw me off again. And I was like, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> Do you so, have any sense of what uh, the trainer was doing that you might not have been doing? He could ride a few bucks. Um, we'll put it that way. <laughs> ride it out. Yeah. So he could ride it out way more than I could. That was kind of the main thing. Knowing that the horse could buck, like I just don't do well with that, and it's why I probably had no business on a horse that that was this green, because it made me nervous, and and it, you know that's just a bad bad combination. So well, so far you're you're on your third horse, so you're gaining a lot of experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so this was a big uh, a downswing in the confidence level. 
And I ended up sending him to a trainer, getting him pretty nicely broke, just getting him, you know, over the whole getting scared and bucking thing and then finding him a home. Well, and like you said, it's hard to get over that mental knowledge that he can do that. Exactly. So even I, going forward, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. And so now in the story, you're on the search again for another horse, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's been a <laughs> long journey to my current horse. <laughs> this is fascinating. I love it. I figured that, well, I got a little unlucky with Moose. He was he was just tougher and, you know, it was hard to pick out a horse that was <laughs> untouched. So I went this time to the Ridgecrest Corrals, and I was going to pick out another untouched Mustang. I'm always willing to give it a second second shot. <laughs> You're a brave girl. <laughs> yeah. So in this time, I, I did make a mistake in that I picked out a horse, and I really liked him. I really, really liked what I saw. And I didn't pick on color this time. He's just kind of a plain dark bay, but he is really pretty, of course. But I would just really like, like he fit everything that I was looking for. When I talked to the lady, after I picked him out, I talked to the lady and she says that he's been out of the holding pens before and he was returned. He had been in one of the extreme Mustang makeovers and the trainer hadn't been able to kind of get him ready for the, you know, in the 90 days, he wasn't a 90 day Mustang and she couldn't keep him to continue training him. So she, she brought him back. And interesting should, yes big red I flag should, i would think big yeah. red flag and i should have you know at that point changed my choice but i was i'd already made up my mind and it was so hard at that point to change my mind <laughs> so i got him anyway and it turns out that first trainer was very right oh um, <laughs> and this is this is zephyr and he is he is a, the sweetest Mustang, and I still have him. You still have him, yeah. Yeah, and I, but I, you know, I, I poured hours and hours and hours and hours into him, and then when I decided that I wasn't going to be able to start him under saddle, like I wasn't even going to try it because he was just so uh, scared, I sent him to Down Under Horsemanship to the Academy program. Oh. oh. That was a huge amount of money invested, of course, and it was exactly as advertised. And and they did, you know, what they what they say they will do. He was there for eight weeks, and I, I went down there at the end of it, and I rode him. Clinton came out and kind of gave me a le- lecture there that this horse was going to kill me. Um, <laughs> it was a real, it was a wonderful pep talk. But he basically, you know, he was brutally honest and said that. If you do not watch your step and follow exactly what we tell you, this horse will kill you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there were some issues, and they kind of showed me what to do and, and, and how, to, how to deal with them and everything. But, you know, he was, he was good, and, and he was, they had done a wonderful job with him. So I brought him home, and I was able to kind of, you know, get started on my own and be riding him. But the thing was is that, like, they had been spending, you know, four hours a day or so with him just working, 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 working on especially desensitizing. And I couldn't do that, right? I'm spending, I, yeah. I still did, you know, I did six days a week religiously because that was what, that's what Clinton told me. He's like, you're going to do six days a week, <laughs> you know, doing an hour a day, a little more on the weekends. It wasn't enough. He, he would regress. How old was Zephyr at this point? He just turned five. Mm-hmm. I was having a very specific problem with him. He was actually a wonderful horse to ride. 
but you had to get in the saddle first. He could not deal with you mounting up. Just the, the kind of sudden pressure in the stirrup, the kind of, you know, pulling on it, the, you know, and I would spend hours just pulling on the saddle and kind of pulling him off to the side. And, and, but that continued to be a problem. It would surprise him every time he got on and he would jump sideways away from you and, and get real scared. So I'd spend every ride, I would get on, get off, get on, get off. And he just couldn't get over this. So like once you were on his back, it was like a different horse. He was bomb proof and great quiet, wow. easy horse to ride. But on the ground, it was that mounting and dismounting, and it was on the ground. He's very, very skittish and jumpy on the ground with you, not with other things, just humans. I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And uh, about seven months later or so, he came up lame. And it kind of, it was the one thing I figured kind of couldn't happen. But, you know, we were working him really hard. Right, yeah. Days a week, and he wasn't getting any time off. And it was almost like at some point, something was going to give. Either either he was going to get over his fear, or we were going to, you know, have to stop. And basically, it came down to we had to stop because he came up lame. I had to give him time off. There was no choice. The second I started to give him time off, I kind of knew. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting back on him. I'm not going to be able to restart him. With the vet as well, like they couldn't figure out what, what was wrong with him. I had two different vets look at him. One said he was lame and a hind end. And the other one said he was neurologic. It was just like, you know what? I, I think this is it. <laughs> he's, he's your pasture pet. <laughs> so yes, he is my pasture pet. I am horribly attached to him. I could have returned him to the BLM. Uh, I never got his title because I was worried about that. So if, it, if I ever can't take care of him, I can always send him back to the BLM. But I'm, I'm just so attached to him that, that he, he stays. And he has such a nice grin. <laughs> oh, he smiles, yes. And that's, yes. <laughs> and that's something like, so keeping him, he has to stay, you know, he's my wild Mustang that lives in my pasture, but he has to stay catchable. If we need to evacuate for a fire or something like that, right. I need to be able to evacuate him. So I taught him to smile as a trick. And then anytime he comes up to me in the pasture and smiles, I'll give him a treat. So <laughs> I keep him catchable by by doing that by by having him smile for me and i'll give him a treat and right oh that's great (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then once again you're on the hunt for another horse oh yeah then i'm on the hunt for another horse and and at this point so two tries is is all i'm gonna do for you know a certain (laughs) strategy of finding the right horse so this time i'm like well i need one that started under saddle because i'm obviously not good at picking them when they're they're untouched so you know i'd known about the uh the carson city uh correctional center their prison training program i'd known about that through friends i have a couple really good friends that had horses from that program and i also had seen a lot of horses out of that program at the boarding facility where we used to board they had had them in their their rental string um as well as you know private owners so i'd seen a whole bunch of them and and they were all really nice horses you know what, why not like get one from that program? And the timing was right. The catalog for the next auction came out right around when I was really starting to think I was going to look for another horse. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the the, the saga began. I I looked through the catalog and and there were some really nice horses in the, the, it was, you know, February, 2016. In that auction, there were some really nice horses in the catalog. So I started kind of ranking them and started getting more and more excited and analyzing them and just like staring at that catalog for, for way, way too long. 
And now, what were what were you looking for? What characteristics were you scoring pluses for, and what characteristics were you scoring minuses for? I wanted a lighter model still, because obviously I can't tell just by a picture or a description kind of how sensitive the horse is. But I didn't want mm-hmm. anything drafty or heavy; something just a little lighter build. Based on the catalog, I didn't have a lot more to go on, but I did want, you know, good confirmation. I wanted something fairly athletic if I could find it. So it was kind of like good confirmation, athleticism, lighter model, a little bit of a kind of performancey looking Mustang. And you saw Toaster in there? So yeah, so based on the catalog, Toaster was kind of my third choice. I'd ranked him. He was third. His, <laughs> his picture was... Don't, don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, is that he failed. He he failed on one point, and that is athleticism. His confirmation <laughs> it's built for soundness. There's nothing about his confirmation that's bad that's going to lead to soundness problems. But he's not athletic looking. He doesn't have the build to be naturally athletic. But he was definitely the right model as far as just being a lighter build. He was a little too tall. I was looking for something nice and you know compact, like fourteen two. So. <laughs> yeah, he's much taller than that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is. Then they put out, and I waited patiently, they put out videos. Just, you know, a week before the auction or something, they'll put out little three-minute clips of the horses. So I'd kind of window-shopped these these auctions before. It was always fun to just window-shop them. So I'd watched the videos before, so I kind of knew what to expect. They're filmed about two months into the horse's training. These prison inmates don't generally have a horse background, so their first experience with horses is training these Mustangs. So, you know, we're not looking at anything fancy or super refined. They tend to look very green. Toaster's video is the first one that comes up. And so I watch it and I'm just blown away. I'm like, have they changed their program? Like, I'm thinking that they're all going to look that good. I'm thinking, that was amazing. I'm just like flabbergasted. And then I watch the rest and know it's just him. <laughs> the rest kind of looked like I was used to seeing in their videos they certainly didn't look bad but they looked very green and pretty rough around the edges (laughs) when the videos came out Toaster was immediately at the top of my list and by quite a bit his video just to me just seemed way better than than any of the others I mean he he worked a gate in that video he'd get you know a a seven and a half at an EXCA race right there (laughs) it was amazing well, so pretty good. I mean, do you think it was Toaster's acceptance of the training, or did he just happen to get a really good guy? The guy he had was not nothing special. So he, it wasn't his first Mustang. He did have some experience, but he had no experience prior to that program. Some of them do have, you know, some prior experience and are pretty fancy. He wasn't. He wasn't one of those. So it was all Toaster. Okay. It was all, Very good. It was all him. So then my ordering changed, and it went from <laughs> what was previously one, two, three became three, one, two. <laughs> So then it was time for the auction. So we, we headed up to Carson City. It was a crazy whirlwind trip. You know, we left work Friday afternoon in El Segundo and, and drove basically through the night to get up there. Uh, arrived at like two in the morning. <laughs> but I wasn't gonna wow. I wasn't gonna sleep anyway, so so you know, it didn't really matter to me, I'm sure <laughs> Christopher might have had some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> What's the competition? Tough for Toaster? Uh, yes. We got there as early as we could get there. And to make a long story short, I was just as blown away in person as I was from his video. And it was like, this horse is just head and shoulders above the others. 
I wanted to tell the, the trainer, because you can ask the trainer, you know, you walk around, you ask the trainer questions. They're all kind of mounted up and sitting on their horses around the rail in their arena. And you walk around the outside of the rail and you talk to them and you can meet the horses and everything. We'd ask the toaster's trainer to go just kind of lope some circles. And it was like, I wanted to tell him, okay, okay, stop, stop, come back. Before somebody else sees. <laughs> You're making him look too yeah, good. <laughs> like other people are going to notice. Up until that point, I wasn't sure because... For one thing, Toaster was kind of being a little obnoxious at the auction. He was being real kind of busy-minded. He was trying to steal everybody's programs out of their hands. And <laughs> he was just being real fidgety and, and things like that. So I was kind of like, I don't, I don't really like him. Like, there wasn't any kind of instant connection there. He was, he was really just being obnoxious. But the second that he went out and moved around, it was, oh, yeah, that's the horse I saw in the video. And he just looked just such a pleasure to ride and the other thing was like talking to his trainer it was like listening to somebody just kind of spout out a lot of cliches like it was like well what's the catch because everything he said was just a perfect cliche he's a horse meets me at the gate every day he loves to be ridden he'll do anything for a pat on the neck you know and it's all these things and I'm like really you know <laughs> he was kind of an introverted kind of guy so he wasn't like super excited he was just kind of stating this matter of factly and it was just, I don't know if I believe him <laughs> <laughs> it's like no horse is this good but anyway once we saw him kind of ride around it was it was clear like he was just head and shoulders above the other horses so then he's the first one to come up in the auction <sighs> Um, so everybody's still in the bidding. We had a limit in mind, and I told Christopher as we're kind of sitting on the bench waiting and watching the intro. They come in, they ride around with flags, and they do a little kind of drill team thing. And I'm, I told Christopher, I'm like, I'm going over our budget. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know already. I, know already. <laughs> I, I told him, like, our budget isn't going to even be nearly enough to get this. And I, but I told him, but I think he's legitimately worth more than that anyway. So he said, okay, yeah, he's, he's good. And so then the bidding started and I was right. I think we blew past my budget before I even got a chance to bid because there were just so many people in the mix, you know? So it was like, yeah. So Christopher's the real hero in all oh, yeah. this. <laughs> he's the same, you know, I'm not good at like stopping bidding, but I had a limit in mind and and we hit that limit, and I thought, you know, and Christopher and I hadn't discussed it, but I was just like, okay, I'm done. Christopher leaned over, and he said, stop there. <laughs> and and oh. I nodded, and, you know, and it was, it was an even $5,000, and we were done. Wow. If they had bid a penny more, they would have got him. And I held my breath. It was the longest, <laughs> going once, going twice. Going um, twice. <laughs> it, was, it was torture, but I, I got him. They didn't bid a penny more, whoever I was bidding against. Now you've got him and you've taken him home. And was he living up to the hype? You know, there were some things like after the auction and things like I was really worried on the way home that I knew he was a good horse. I was worried I wasn't going to like him. You know, I, I had some legitimate concerns about his personality and he was just kind of obnoxious at the auction and not very likable. That first day, that first session at home, I was so relieved. I was, it was a different horse. I did a little bit of round penning, a little bit of groundwork, and he was just the sweetest, most respectful, just quiet. You know, I could love on him. He didn't, he wasn't, you know, pushy. He was, it was amazing. And I, I was just so relieved. And did you start from the beginning of the method again, or did you 
just to try to advance from where Toaster was? I did start from the beginning of the method, but I wanted to get on him as soon as possible. So I actually got on him just for a few minutes the first day I had him home. And then I was riding him, you know, the second day. But that was important for me. And it was also important for Toaster because he was so newly trained. It was kind of more like bringing a horse home from the academy where they tell you ride him good the first 14 days you have him home. That was the approach that I kind of took. So I did the groundwork alongside of it, but I really just wanted to get in the saddle and get riding and, yeah, kind of establish where he was in his training. Now, before you had gotten Toaster, were you going to different trail trials and doing different events? Because with Toaster, you've done a number of horse shows and we're going to get into the extreme cowboy stuff, but... Were you doing any of this before Toaster with your previous horses? Not really. I had brought Shooter to one obstacle challenge back when Akta was around, and that was it. Now, of course, once I sold Shooter, the others really never got to that point where they would have been appropriate to bring to a competition. I did do like an obstacle clinic with Zephyr and some things like that, but that was it. And then how soon was it before you started going to those types of events with Toaster? It was about six months, maybe five months. Um, Then I went to an obstacle clinic, kind of the same one that I brought Zephyr to. I brought him to an obstacle clinic. It was actually shortly after you met him for the first time there at Sweetwater Movie Land Ranch. Oh, that's right. That was was about soon from when I got him. You had only had him four months at that that point. Yeah, that was his first trip off the ranch, actually. Oh, and you did great at there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had no idea how it would go. It was, it was kind of funny because he was he was afraid of the other horses. He was afraid of people riding, like when we were doing kind of some one rain stops and things like that, and everybody was riding in every different direction. He was uh, terrified. <laughs> but I remember, boy, he did the obstacles great. Yes, he did. I think yeah. I had scratch then. Right? Yeah, the oh, you, the water box. Yeah, I think you did take scratch. I think because that was yeah. one of Scratch's first. Uh, Big outings. Outings yep. too, yep. yeah. So that was about when I realized Toaster was probably pretty good at obstacles. <laughs> yeah. And you have gone on to prove that very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, what we picked to do. Did you do a number of trail trials and then stumble upon the extreme cowboy racing? Or did you have kind of a goal you wanted to go fast and try and kill yourself that way? <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because I don't even really understand how or why I got interested in XCA. But it was because there were races they were holding races at Sweetwater Movie Land Ranch and that's like right down the road it just kind of came to my mind that well they have a novice division I can just kind of trot between obstacles and and I probably you know that's okay like in the novice division we're not really going to have to go fast and it's just so close I might as well do it (laughs) so it was almost that but then and then they didn't have them anymore. And right as I was getting right. ready to actually be ready to do one, they stopped having them at Sweetwater Movie Land Ranch. But that was kind of what got the idea in my head. I did do an obstacle challenge with Toaster first. I felt like that's just an easier starting point, maybe. Easier to get into for your first event. Time doesn't, time's not a factor exactly. around the- so we did a, an obstacle challenge in, in October, and that was our first, our first outing. And Megan Warlick, who used to be a, a down under certified clinician, is one 
just about every <laughs> extreme cowboy race in the last year. Had you been introduced to her when you went down to Down Under Horsemanship? To I actually knew Megan from before. I actually signed up for a private lesson with Megan when she was with Down Under. So this is oh. when I had Shooter. <laughs> so she, she, she met Shooter and, and tried to, to help me with some of the, the problems we were having. And then that became a yearly thing. Even after she left Down Under, we, we continued to have her out once a year, just a group of us that, that uh, really liked her. And oh, so great. that's another place like that. She, she also had an influence in me getting into EXCA because she would make like right when she first got into it and, and I had one of these lessons, she would make comments about if you could do that, you would do great novice, you know, and just making those <laughs> comments made me think, oh, well, I guess I could do that. <laughs> I never really thought about speed because it's just so, it's such a funny thing for me to have decided to do in reality because I was a timid rider. I didn't like speed. It was just it was just obstacles in a course, and I didn't really like worry about it. You know, I was just like, yeah, novice level, I can go slow. <laughs> and now, and so now you've qualified for the world championships in EXA, and which division are you going to be riding yeah, in? Yeah, so this is my second year doing EXA, and I'm continuing to do novice at the world championships. We'll be in the novice division, and and that's where I hope right. to be really competitive. But I also qualified in the intermediate division because you can ride up into the harder divisions, which mm-hmm. is great practice. So I qualified there as well. So I'm going to do both of them. Oh, good for you. Because that, that's a, a big thing with with showing is that you just need to gain experience. And also you need not only you personally, but your whole, you have to give your horse an opportunity to yes, do that. Yes, absolutely. It's been, a, it's been a steep learning curve and I, I still have a long ways to go, especially myself. Toaster has always been a step above me. <laughs> and what do you find the biggest challenges when you are showing? Especially initially, like it, it went really fast. Even though I'd have this the strategy in mind for each obstacle, I would forget that strategy. When I got there, I would just kind of try to do it as fast as I could. And it was easy to get flustered. I still have trouble with that uh-huh. with certain obstacles, like a backing through an L. When the clock is ticking... I'm like, back quick, back quick. And then we back right, right into the back back of the L and we don't turn. And my nerves get, you know, I get too quick with my hands. I get too quick with my cues and, and try to do things maybe too fast. And then you mess them up. <laughs> what challenges does Toaster have when he's showing? Um, he's never been a horse that's just absolutely won't even look at an obstacle. He's had some challenges with specific obstacles that he's still a little scared of, like water boxes. Water boxes tend to be the hard thing. And it's mostly like like in a race, you know, ideally he would lope through that water box, right? right. He's just not like most of the, he's going to stop and look at it. And so being able to just kind of blast through obstacles, definitely it hasn't really been his forte, as well as some of the more, some of the more athletic obstacles we, we have trouble with. He's just not necessarily the best at doing rollbacks or loping a really tight circle or you know things like that come hard for him how much does time play a factor in an exco race you get one point every 20 seconds that you're under eight minutes (laughs) it plays a big role when you're when your obstacle scores are close so you can see it be the deciding factor a lot of times between two riders that are just really close on their obstacles. So each obstacle is judged 
But a lot of times there's a lot of people that maybe are scoring a six and a half. So a lot of people are really close in their obstacle scores and time is often a deciding factor in that case. And when you're going really fast like that, it's got to be hard to maintain the quality of your horsemanship, I think, too. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So for a long time, Toaster really didn't go fast. And, and I didn't, we would lope it, but we would lope it a nice, pretty lope. And and I really didn't, you know, I would, <laughs> I would think I was pushing him to be fast. And then I would see the video afterwards and it's like, yeah, that wasn't fast. Then all of a sudden he realized that this is a race and this is fun. So then he started to pick up the pace and it definitely added a big challenge as far as just stopping in the right place for the next obstacle and not just kind of blowing right by it. <laughs> I remember some of the pictures that you posted about Toaster <laughs> figuring out he was allowed yes, to go fast. It, it was like a light bulb <laughs> went off and, and my super, super quiet Mustang suddenly started to really pick it up and I just had to, you know, hang with him. <laughs> and what are your goals for the Nationals in Glen Rose, Texas coming up in November? You know, for something like this, I can't, I don't want to have goals around winning or doing well because, you know, it, anything can happen. You can, you can mess it up, but just, just one mistake and, and you're not going to place very well. So my goal is to go have an experience, have fun, and make some memories that'll last a lifetime. Very cool. And how many competitors will be there? Do um, you think? Usually there's quite a bit, especially like the novice and intermediate divisions are usually the biggest divisions. Are you going to be doing more competitions between now and yes. then? So we kind of have to get out to every competition we can to, to get in as much practice as we can. Well, it's very exciting. You've really done a wonderful job. I'm sure you've your horsemanship must have grown leaps and bounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did, was it? Uh, oh, I have one other question. Was it weird after watching all those down under horsemanship DVDs to go and meet Clinton in person? Yeah, <laughs> I was a little starstruck, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed him on the show, and I was like. Dude, you know, I've had a thousand of conversations with you and you've yeah. never been there and it's just weird having you on the other exactly. end. Exactly. I feel like you should know all of my history and all the things I've done right. with my horse. We talked about that. Don't you know we talked about that before? Exactly. It's like, oh, mate, no. Yes. <laughs> been just a, a joy hearing your story through horsemanship and yeah, good uh, job. we wish you the best of luck of course we're gonna see you around at the shows from time to time and good luck to both you and toaster indeed yeah Thank good you. good job good job oh and if people want to find out more about you or about toaster uh where can we send them you know look me up on facebook my Facebook is pretty much all about Toaster, so <laughs> you want to follow him. Yeah, there's lots of great pictures there. <laughs> As it should be. We'll be rooting for you. Okay, awesome. That'll do it for this show. Thanks to Adrienne DeWolf for sharing her time and experience. You know, persistence does really pay off. Don't give up. You can find her and Toaster on Facebook and look for her in the Extreme Cowboy Race National Finals this November in Glen Rose, Texas. We wish her the best of luck. You can find all the links to this show at woepodcast.com. You can find past episodes here too. The Woe Podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you might find your podcasts. 
click subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. If you'd like to support the show, I've set up a Patreon page, and you can donate as much or as little as you like. The Woe Podcast is produced, edited, and managed solely by us, John and Renee. Hey, you know, just save your money. Instead of clicking on the Patreon button, how about you review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get it? That will do so much more for the show. Yeah, do that. Unless you have more money than time, then do the Patreon thing. We won't turn it down. If you have an idea for the show, they'll be coming out about once a month now. Drop me a line at john at woepodcast.com and let me know who you would like to hear from. And until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. And then are you going to get... And I'm not sure how much of this would be on the interview, but I'm just more and more... No, I was curious. <laughs> <laughs>